If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine, Episode 6. I am Ken Levine. Thank you very much for being here. Got a good show today. Romance is in the air. And I am going to talk about how I spent one Valentine's Day night with Beyonce. <laughs> yes! Also, uh, some writing tips today. I'm going to give you some suggestions on how to write better dialogue for all you writer wannabes out there. And I'm going to follow it up with a musical salute to all of those great songs that you know and love that are three seconds. That is Hollywood and Levine. But first... Let's listen to my credits. Valentine's Day is this month, and it is not my favorite holiday. Valentine's Day is also my birthday, so you can like me on Facebook. But um, it's always a drag because, well, first of all, it's never about me. I always have to share it. And secondly, try going out to dinner on Valentine's Day. I mean, it's like New Year's Eve. Restaurants are packed. They overcharge you price-fixed meals, it's always a disaster. So I'm usually not a big fan of my birthday. I've had some memorable birthdays, we all have, of course, and uh, one of my most memorable was in 2007, and that was the year that I attended the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Model Unveiling Party. <laughs> yeah! But listen to the way it ends up. It's not so exciting. I have a friend. I actually met him in the Army. And he worked for Sports Illustrated. And so he came out every year when they were unveiling the new 
Sports Illustrated swimsuit models, and they always had like a big party to celebrate the occasion. And so he invited me this one year, which was very cool. Um, So I, I went to the Pacific Design Center in West Hollywood, And uh, as the old expression in Los Angeles, if the nearby Beverly Center indoor mall was known as the Gray Whale, the Pacific Design Center is the big blue box that it came in. A giant tent was erected in, and yes, I use the word erected, uh, in the courtyard and carpeting was laid down. And I mean, it was this big swank affair. Now, I wasn't sure how to dress for something like this. And, of course, a recurring theme on this podcast is my terrible fashion sense. And I figured, look, I could not wear the suit that I had donned for the Rosenstock Bar Mitzvah. But I settled on some slacks and a sweater that I wore at an FX pitch meeting. I mean, they're a hip network, right? So that was pretty cool. I still felt kind of out of place. No, it was my shoes, my leather jacket, or the fact that I was the only man there who brought his wife. Anyway, at least I didn't have a ponytail. Well, big surprise, the party was 75% guys, all preening like peacocks, all trying to look so cool, all hoping that no one would notice that it was Valentine's Day. So really, how well could these guys be doing if they were alone at a party to ogle supermodels? Dead giveaway number one, the posturing dorks who were all on their cell phones, you know, like they could be heard over the music, which was played at the threshold of pain. And then dead giveaway number two, the uh, losers who brought cameras. This was 2007 before we all had smartphones with cameras. Uh, These guys still had digital cameras and they were taking pictures for their wallets, you know, to go along with the condoms that have been there since the Clinton administration. Anyway, at one point, each swimsuit model was introduced, and there were these like little uh, escalating pedestals set up around the tent, uh, a la gold medal ceremonies at the Olympics, and every girl was introduced, and they all had either the name Fernanda or Daniela. So it was from the Brazil shoot. Here is Fernanda Moda, Fernanda Tavares. Daniela Consuela, Daniela Jones. One by one, they took their places and they like squeezed onto these small little disc-shaped platforms, each wearing a very sheer gown that proclaimed in elegance, I'm worth $1,000 an hour. So uh, I was expecting, um, you know, to meet these girls. And of course, uh, I didn't. But I did get to meet Beyonce who was there, and man, the cameras were a-clicking with her. The ponytails were a-spinning. She was very beautiful, very charming, and um, and she had that kind of really nice get-the-fuck-away-from-me smile, but I was able to say hello for a couple of seconds. Now, a former uh, swimsuit model was in attendance, actually a few of them, and that's really kind of sad. Your heart has to go out to these girls because... What does it feel like to be 29 and done? But uh, in this case, one of the girls, uh, Stacy Williams, was somebody who I knew from the gym. We used to work out together, and she's now actually doing very well. She's involved in environmental causes, etc., etc. There is life after Tahiti. 
But uh, she actually came up to me and hugged me. And again, all of the guys with the ponytails, they were like, you know, just salivating when that happened. Um, After about an hour, decided to leave and, um, you know, just head out on the red carpet where uh, no one took our picture. And um, that was it. So I thought, happy birthday. Well, two weeks later, uh, there was a report on uh, the news, both radio and television, that um, Wolfgang Puck, by the way, had catered this affair. And uh, the big announcement was that apparently one of the cooks who catered the Sports Illustrated swimsuit model party came down with hepatitis A. And all of the guests were advised to get an immune globulin shot by today. Nice warning. Thank you. 24 hours. Okay, a couple of thoughts. Number one, this would not have happened if Sports Illustrated had used Arts Deli to cater the goddamn affair. Number two, anyone who ate uncooked food needs a shot. How many of the models thought that they were not exposed because they threw up the food within an hour? Number three, shouldn't Wolfgang Puck reimburse everyone who needed a shot? Number four, food was not even that good. Number five, no newscaster could report this story without laughing. That was nice. Uh, Number six, why couldn't it have been the governor's ball at the Oscars instead? Number seven, it's like these models go to Bora Bora and all these bizarre, exotic locales, and they're fine. One night in West Hollywood, and they all come down with hepatitis A. Now, there was another problem. Very few doctors and medical clinics even had immune globulin shots. I mean, there was not a lot of raging outbreaks of hepatitis. So it took me about an hour of like calling around until I actually found a place. I mean, if I wanted to score crystal meth, it would have probably been way easier. Now, there was a clinic in the Antelope Valley, which is about 100 miles from L.A., and the public health center in Monrovia was lousy with the stuff, but even my GPS system couldn't find those places. And then there's the Central Public Health Center on Figueroa. Oh, yeah, I want to see all those CAA agents drive their Beamers and Porsches to the heart of downtown L.A. Plenty of free parking, guys. Anyway, I finally found a place. I had to tell them uh, Lil Mofo sent me, uh, but they finally gave me the shot. Cost $115. Thank you very much, Wolfgang Puck. And... um, Now I can eat my chinua chicken salad again without fear of yellow jaundice. Now the good news was that the shot was in the arm, and it didn't used to be. I uh, got a shot like in 1969 when I was uh, at KMPC, and one of our newscasters came down with it. And back then, those were like horse shots, and they were right in your ass, Oh, man, that was uh, painful for about two weeks. Uh, Thank God no one does that anymore, making you drop your pants. Although, if I were Beyonce's doctor, I might have liked it. Anyway, uh, the next year I skipped the party and just bought the magazine. No danger of hepatitis 
or even glaucoma. If you grew up listening to radio, you probably had a favorite station. And if I were to mention the call letters of that station, probably the first thing that you would do would be to sing back the jingle. I mean, if I were to say to you, KFWB, and you grew up in Los Angeles listening to KFWB, you would go KFWB, Channel 98. The jingles really helped identify the radio station. And years later, KFWB was around a thousand years ago, but still, you remember the melody of that jingle. And jingles were very much a part of a radio station's sound. And they're really taken for granted. I mean, you never think about, well, who actually sings these three-second songs and eight-second songs? Uh, and and how could my little station growing up in Peoria have this big elaborate jingle package? It sounds like there's nine singers and a full orchestra for my dinky little station that you can't get across the street. Uh, well, there are companies that make these jingles, notably companies in Dallas because it's a right-to-work state, but PAMS and Jam Production and Pepper Tanner and TM were some of the big production companies that made jingles. And what they would do is they would make a jingle package for a major market station like WABC in New York, and then other stations around the country would have jingles sung that were identical. They would use the same musical backgrounds and the same singers and just uh, adjust their logo signature and some of the lyrics. But uh, the jingles that you hear on WABC are the same jingles that you hear on KJR Seattle, that type of thing. And a lot of time and effort and precision goes into making jingles. Uh, Another great uh, jingle producer is Johnny Mann with the Johnny Mann Singers who made all of those great acapella logos for KHJ, KFRC, CKLW, yada yada. So uh, I got a new program on my computer. I uploaded this program called Audacity, which allows me to do sound editing. And I was basically playing around with it, learning how it works, how to make edits, how to blend things together. I still don't really understand half of what it could do, but I was just kind of looking for a project, something that I could build using Audacity. And I collect a lot of radio air checks, a lot of jingles, all kinds of radio memorabilia. So I thought, okay, I'm going to put together some really cool jingles into a nice montage. And that's what I did. Hopefully it will give you a sense of the artistry of radio station jingles, as bizarre as that may sound. So here, for the first time, untitled, because I don't know what to call this stupid thing, but this is my radio jingle montage. Enjoy.
graduate screenwriting classes at UCLA, and one of the lectures that I give is on dialogue. So I figured, well, for the sake of this podcast, I'm going to lecture all of you writer wannabes on some of the tips that I have for writing better dialogue. And I start with this. Mike Nichols said there are only three kinds of scenes, a fight, a seduction, or a negotiation. Actually, you can even do two or all three in the scene itself, but the scene has to be one of those three, either a fight or seduction or a negotiation. And in a sense, it means that every scene has to have a dynamic. It can't just be two people talking to each other. The dynamic is your friend. So constantly ask yourself, what's going on in this scene? What does he want? What is her attitude? Also, forget grammar. Forget perfectly formulated sentences. Imagine a UCLA professor telling you to forget grammar, but it's true. Write the way people speak. Write conversational. Don't be on the nose. People go out of their way not to tell you what they're really thinking or how they really feel. They don't say, I'm really angry at you right now. They'll hint, they'll be passive-aggressive, they'll use humor, they'll deflect, they'll hide their feelings, they'll assume bravado. Let their actions, behavior, and decisions inform us as to how they really feel. Also, say it in as short a way as you possibly can. Long speeches can always be trimmed. Seriously, always be trimmed. Dialogue needs to have a flow We call it open pages, and what that means is you see a page in a script, and there's like 
one sentence and one sentence and two words and two sentences and one sentence. It's not giant blocks of speech and uh, stage direction. It's like, oh, God, a reader looks at that and goes, this better be Aaron Sorkin or I'm tossing this script. So try to have open pages. It's really kind of like music in a way. It, it has a rhythm, a flow. A tip, do not make the mistake of making sure that every line is letter perfect before going on to the next line. And this is something that's very understandable, especially with young writers. They want to make sure that every single line is perfect before they go on to the next. What you end up with, however, is very stilted dialogue. I mean, you have to sort of free yourself to write something down, take a look at it, revise it, maybe go with something else, but don't be going word for word for word because, like I said, you're going to end up with a, a very stilted script. Now, if a character does have a big speech, try to break it up a little bit. Let another character interject something, even if it's short. If nothing else, it's, it's better on the listener's ear. Sometimes the best answer is silence, okay? Sometimes a character just needs to look at another character. Drop words, first words in sentences or pronouns, things like got milk, wondered about that, another minute. Now, the danger, of course, is to overdo it, and then everybody sounds like hillbillies, but that's the way people generally talk. Uh... Look, I love Aaron Sorkin. I really do. Uh, But a legitimate criticism of Aaron Sorkin is that all of his characters sound the same. Try to make sure that your characters all sound different. Uh, You can define characters with dialogue. I mean, it's their use of vocabulary, the slang expressions they use, their general tone. Are they curt? Are they arch? Are they bubbly? Are they reserved? Do they have odd speech patterns? Uh, Are they Christopher Walken? Are they understated? Do they whine? Is their speech halting? Do they have an accent? Do they use a regional expression? Are they educated, refined? What is their gender? Do they speak softly? Do they swear? Is English their second language? Is their dialogue age appropriate? Now, one trick, and again, don't overdo this, but if you give a character a word or an expression that they use a lot that no other character uses, that sometimes helps. You know, if they go, uh, if you have one guy who just goes, perfect, everything is perfect. And somebody else will say literally 42 times in a minute. Uh, Sometimes those kind of crutch expressions can help define a character a little bit. Uh, Don't write in Dems and Does. In an attempt to, you know, sound street, be careful that your dialogue doesn't come off looking racist, okay? (laughs) Don't write dialogue phonetically. A lot of dialogue goes unfinished. I mean, think about it. Characters interrupt, or they let sentences just trail off, or they speak in sentence fragments. Characters also talk in asides. 
Uh, I went to San Francisco. Oh, God, I love that city. I went to a giant game. And then they get back into what they're saying. They go off on tangents. They sometimes ramble. They sometimes skip around. They don't necessarily talk in beautifully structured long speeches. Alfred Hitchcock had a great expression. He said, good story was life with the dull parts taken out. Same for dialogue. Don't waste time with hellos, how you doing, etc. Get into a scene as late as you can and get out of the scene as early as you can. I mean, if I'm reading a script and some character opens the door and there's his neighbor, hi, hi, what are you doing here? Oh, I just uh, stopped by. Uh, you want a cup of coffee? Sure, I guess. You got time for one? Yeah, sure. Well, come on in. Nice to see you. You know, what do you want? Uh, coffee? Uh, tea? I also have tea. I have Snapple if you It's bullshit. You don't want to hear any of that. So, again, get into a scene as late as you can and get out of it as early as you can. And here's the thing. Take great pains in writing the opposite sex. And you know, there's a tendency to make the opposite sex generic or stereotypical. And here's a little tip. If you are unsure how a member of the opposite sex would act in a certain situation or what they might say in a certain situation, ask them. Just ask somebody. I do that all the time. I'll say to a woman friend of mine, okay, let me give you the situation. This happened and this happened and this happened. What would you say? How would you react? Would you get mad? Would you find it funny? Would you engage in an argument? Would you just walk away? What would you say here? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's all a matter of authenticity and research. And if you're not sure how somebody would react to a situation. Very simple solution, ask them. One thing that you can do is to eavesdrop on other conversations. Sometimes just go to a mall, go to a food court, and sit there and listen to people. Just eavesdrop on conversations. And you'll find from time to time great expressions, interesting speech patterns. There's a lot to derive out of just listening to other people. When you write these scripts, bear in mind that real people have to say these lines, okay? Actors will question things. Be careful with insults. And if you have an argument and this is sometimes very difficult to do because we all have our points of view and we all kind of have our biases, but take the side of every character. If there's an argument, fight equally hard for both sides, even if you personally disagree with one of those sides. Always play your characters to the top of their intelligence. Don't sacrifice your character for a joke. And here's the thing. It's okay, I'm giving you all of these things not to do. Well, here's something you can do. It's okay for your characters to have the perfect comeback. Now, I know in life you generally don't, but it's okay in a script for the character to just have that great zets. 
at the end of an argument. You can do that. For exposition, and this is one of my pet peeves, don't have characters tell other characters things they already know. You've been working at the precinct for 16 years. This happens a lot in procedurals. You know, uh, when the blood coagulates like this and is exposed to air, it turns a shade of purple. And the other guy should be saying, look, I've been in forensics for 20 years. I know that, asshole. Um, Avoid alliteration. It sounds kind of weird. Uh, Don't make sentences so long that an actor can't say them in one breath. In terms of profanity, you can use a lot more profanity now on cable type of shows, but in a sense it's kind of a trap. Um, I I always say only use profanity for real effect because if you just keep dropping F-bombs every other line, the word is not going to have any real impact. You know, it's it's going to be deadwood. So uh, be judicious in terms of profanity. And finally, this is something that I recommend to everybody, including myself, and that is when the script is done, read it out loud. You would be surprised how clunky certain dialogue sounds or how nice a section flows or how difficult it is to say three or four words in a row that are all kind of tongue twisters. Uh, You get an awful lot out of just reading it out loud. Okay, those are some tips on dialogue. Coming back with more on Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine. Back with more after this. Alrighty, that will do it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Also thanks to Adam and Susie Butler and to Howard Hoffman. Are you still walking around singing KFRC? Yeah, I am too. Uh, Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. And I know this is shameless, but I'm told to do it every week. If you like what you heard, please give me a five-star review. Okay, back next week with some more fun stuff. I'm Ken Levine. Happy Valentine's Day and happy Lincoln's birthday. Bye-bye.